My name is Zivia. I grew up in Montclair, New Jersey, and I'm a feminist and gender studies major in the class of 2021 at Colorado College. Today's episode will focus on our classes meeting with Kay from the organization TransSexWorks. TransSexWorks is a peer-to-peer network for trans sex workers in Berlin. After recognizing a gap in networks and spaces for folks who both identify as trans and sex workers, a few years back, Kay wrote a proposal to receive funding from the German government and since then has been tirelessly working on the organization. The identity of trans and sex workers is specific, but at the same time, it captures a wide range in social and political standings and therefore a large variety of needs. As a relatively small organization with limited funding, trans sex works has to be intentional on where they can focus their resources in order to be effective. Kay and their colleagues have chosen to focus on who they recognize as the most vulnerable of the sex workers community, street workers. In Berlin, a majority of the trans street workers that Kay works with are those who have seeked refuge in Germany because of persecution that they faced based on their gender and sexual identities. Kay noted that most of the street workers did not choose this lifestyle but are doing it out of survival. Kay moved from Berlin to France about 10 years ago. As someone who comes from a more privileged background, Kay's situation is different from these street workers as they have chosen this lifestyle. But as Kay stated during our discussion, the individuals that they work with at TransSexWorks have yet to really be recognized within the various queer pockets and bubbles of Berlin. As our class seeks to encounter and be exposed to hidden spaces and narratives in Berlin, I found this session to be extremely insightful. I often think of intersectionality specifically in the context of the intersections of race, gender, and sexuality. But through this session, Kay helped me realize the limitlessness and the varieties of which the concept of intersectionality can be used to understand all types of circumstances, identities, and oppression. I'm really excited to share this experience with you all because I learned so much from this session. The passion and honesty that Kay relayed to us was really moving and helped me better understand the importance of the work they're doing and the complexity of the obstacles they face at trans sex works. A moment that stood out to me during this session is when Kay was talking about the weekly dinners that trans sex works hosts. Here's a clip of Kay talking about the dinners, the process, how they got started, how they work, and how they serve the community of trans street workers that they're working with. So we <clears throat> find a, a place that decided, okay, we can help you. So they gave us the, the room for the Thursday night. And every Thursday there is a, um, what we call the trans dinner happening, where one of them uh, cook and get paid uh, mm-hmm. for cooking, because that's time, that's work. And then it's nice because it's not always the same, so we get different kind of foods and from also different kind of, of like, different countries. <clears throat> and they can all come, uh, eat for free, stay there for free. Uh, there is a shower, so they can shower. They can uh, wash their clothes, and there is a dryer, so the one who live in the street, for instance, they come with all their belongings, and then they wash for the rest of the week. So even if they can't shower for one week, at least they have uh, clean clothes that they can put on, have a proper meal, and in the winter have a warm space for uh, three or four hours where they can stay and also get ready for the work. And so if you want to talk about <coughs> things that are hard, mm-hmm. it, at the beginning it was not really working. Sometimes we only had one person, like mm-hmm. uh, plus the person cooking. Mm-hmm. 
Like it, this is still five years ago that you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the, the project started 2000. And then after a while, it started to work. They started to come. And I, I also think at the beginning, like these people, they, they think nobody's going to help them. And I'm not blaming them for that <laughs> because in the situation that they come here, um, so it took them, even if we were saying we're also sex worker, we're also trans, mm -hmm. of course we're not f from the same uh, background and, and we don't share the same experiences. So it took them some time to really uh, trust us that yes, we would be there. Yes, we will do that every Thursday. Uh, so that's the main thing that we have that is still running and it's kind of our basis because, okay, that's working. Well, it depends. Like now in the summer there are less people coming, but in the winter sometimes mm -hmm. we have like 12 people um, mm -hmm. and that's a lot, there are not so many anyway. Um, and so we wanna, since that's working and they know it's there, then we wanna do some more activities uh, from that point. What made this moment memorable to me was the ways in which I realized I sometimes perceive activism and political organizing to be this outward and visible action and energy. And by visible, I mean visible to everyone because by associating visibility and activism and those things being potentially mutually exclusive in my mind, I fail to recognize the ways in which certain people are already hyper-visible and that visibility and hyper-visibility itself can be a threat to people's existence if their bodies pose a perceived threat to society or greater systems of social organization and domination. And I think this hypervisibility is something that trans and gender nonconforming people experience on a day-to-day -day basis, as well as black and brown people um, who live in predominantly white places. Or not even live in predominantly white places, but frequent predominantly white spaces and places. When Kay described these dinners and the process to getting them to become what they are now, which is consistently attended and also helpful for the people that go to them. Um, it reminded me that organizing and activism can be as intimate and radical as just getting together as a community and having dinner. The amount of energy and effort and thoughtfulness that Kay and their colleagues put into organizing and making sure that this dinner has happened every week for the past three or four years reminded me of how dinner and gathering and organizing a community is a form of resistance. It took years before they were able to get consistent attendance and I think they were able to because they prioritized the needs of the community specifically. And before they even started hosting those dinners, Kay and their colleagues went out and had and paid for the trans street workers to take surveys to get a better understanding of what that community needed so they could make sure that whatever actions they take and whatever organizing they do and whatever support that they are providing for the street trans workers is, prior is prioritizing the needs of them um, and being careful to do what they need and not what you might think they need. I was also really struck by the way that Kay and Trans Sex Works 
are so mindful of the people that they're working with. Even though they're already sacrificing or putting in their own time and energy to help and support this community, they also understand that even in some ways their help can be a burden to them. So when they were going around taking the surveys to understand what the community needed instead of kind of being like, well, we're doing this for you, they compensated them with money to take those surveys because they recognized that their time is money and that if they had time, that they wouldn't necessarily be in those positions. If um, And then also just as Kay mentioned, when, when they have the dinners, whoever's cooking the dinner gets paid as well, and they don't expect anything in return from, from this community. After Kay finished talking to us about trans sex works, the class was able to ask them questions. I found this to be really engaging, and towards the end, we started talking about legislation surrounding sex work in Germany. Sex work is legal and decriminalized, but there are more specific laws and legislations and rules policing the way that one can work as a sex worker. And in 2017, new legislation was created that requires all sex workers to legally register through the state and get an ID that says that they're a sex worker in order to work legally. Kay, as well as many others, have a lot of issues with this new legislation. One, for the people who are undocumented or are not in Germany legally, they can no longer engage in sex work legally, and so it makes it difficult for them to work in brothels um, and therefore have to resort to either the streets or the internet. There are also issues regarding privacy and the state knowing who is a sex worker and having that information and having that be something that's on record, on government record, makes a lot of people, including Kay, extremely uncomfortable. Breaking law is called protection. It's supposed to protect us from what? Please tell me. Yeah. They have, but they didn't, for instance, when they were working on that law, we were asking so that some people could go there and work with them. And usually in Germany, they are pretty good with that yeah. to involve the people that are uh, concerned. Yeah. But for sex workers, they didn't. Nobody had the chance to, like we had a few talks, but that's kind of more or less what it was. Uh, and it's always this thing, as you said, and it's the same for the trans uh, question. As long as people decide who are not in the situation, that's mm -hmm. never going to be. You need to have the people who are in the situation who know better. And not trying to help, but is also doing politics. Like we did this like fake uh, um, <clears throat> idea card before uh, it put it, and we were trying like to pass it in the street and to sensibilize people to be like, hey, what if? you would have to register because of the work that you do, how would you feel about that? And also it's kind of like, um, it reminds a little bit of the Nazi law uh, because of all this registration. Like that, there is in, in the activism, whether it's in France or here, like uh, trying to have better conditions for the majority, but the, the migrants are always right. left out.
<laughs> the, the, the solution would be to that it's possible for them to become legal and mm -hmm. that's I've never like it's a, you can hear that a little bit in the agenda of the activists but yeah. it's just like very little so. it's frustrating to hear that laws like this get passed because they are under the guise of protection for sex workers when really it's just a way to surveil and control them. And no sex workers were consulted on this law, so it seems clear that the intention of the law was never to serve or help them. This reminded me a lot of the Harita Warren piece on hate crime and legislation in Germany that we read for a class. Harita Warren talks about the ways that new hate crime legislation in Germany actually works to further homogenize. And through a discourse on migrant homophobia, the state is justified in policing migrant groups, people of color, in order to protect a new type of diversity or a sexual diversity that ends up being extremely white. Through a transnational framework, Harita Warren argues that hate crime and criminal justice discourse is partially motivated by the policing and marginalization of poor and non-white people with the help of the narrative of the homophobic migrant. But the homophobic migrant discourse or trope falls apart when the existence of trans street workers who are often migrants are right here in Germany. I realize that I don't even know much about the criminalization of sex work in the United States and the ways that I've assumed that just because sex work is legal in a specific country or decriminalized doesn't necessarily mean that the circumstances are anywhere close to ideal for the people in that country. Now I'm going to start the discussion portion of my podcast featuring two of my classmates uh, who are going to each introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Samuel Vang. Um, I am a rising semi-senior at CC. I'm a feminist and gender studies major, and I'm from Kennesaw, Georgia. My name is Bella Stahl. I am a rising junior. I'm an environmental science major and a journalism minor, and um, my hometown is Nairobi, Kenya. All right, so um, to start, I was going to ask a question. Um, for me, I've been raised um, and internalized a lot of thinking about sex work as kind of taboo um, and, some, and immoral. And so like throughout the discussion, I kind of found myself um, thinking certain things that like weren't shedding the greatest light on sex work. So I was wondering if you, you found yourselves um, encountering any biases um, throughout the discussion um, about sex workers and sex work in general. And if so, um, how did you work through them or what, yeah, what thoughts did you have? It was interesting because leading up to this session, I think that I would have told other people and told myself that I didn't have any biases about sex work, that I had like worked through them. Um, but going through the session, I found myself like encountering them and then like working through them and thinking about them. Um, and I think like the lens through which that happened was that I've always like been told that sex work is something that people are like pushed into. Like the people who are doing sex work are there because like 
um, it wasn't their choice or like um, that's just something they needed to do for money um, and like I've always been told like I don't know like that that's that they're like a victim of circumstance and that I that's like why you should not like look down on them but then like we started talking about the session about like how some people like choose to do sex work like even though they could choose other jobs and like I had to just like think about that for a second and I think it wasn't like I like fundamentally disrespected that but I had to be like that is like that is okay like just because someone chooses it doesn't mean that it's like any more or less respectable than the people who are in a circumstance where they feel compelled to do it um but it was interesting because it brought up the conversation of like um how most of the sex work the sex workers that Kate works with don't want to be doing it so the idea of like choice and to what extent it's chosen was like an interesting thing that that brought up for me yeah for sure um do you have anything to say yeah um so i certainly did find myself encountering certain biases throughout our chat with Kay, um, but I wouldn't say, like, it was from, like, an angle of, like, coming about it from, like, like negative feelings or, like, from viewing it as taboo. Um, but like, for instance, whenever we found out that, like, it going great for blowjobs, like, and, like, recent times was, like, five years of blowjob, like, that, like, astounded me because, like, Granted that I came into, like, the situation knowing that um, brothels and prostitution is legal in Germany from, like, a federal stance, I thought that, like, that kind of regulation would make it so that, like, people weren't forced into situations where they had to, like, accept, like, five euros to give a blowjob. And, like, I guess, like, thinking through it, like, I realized, like, so often whenever I think about sex work, um, whenever I do think about it in terms of, like the illegal side or whatever, like, whenever it's not legally acceptable, um, that's whenever I think about it being, like, lower prices or whatever, like, I, that's whenever I think about, like, people being, like, forced into those certain kind of situations and whatnot and, like, having to accept that, but I didn't realize, like, it would be the case like that in, like, a developed nation like Germany, um, and that was interesting to me. Yeah, I think something that also stuck out to me, Bella, was, like, how there's like a myriad of ways one can like be um be a sex worker in that industry and like for some it is circumstance but others it's choice yeah that was also something i thought a lot about something else that interested me um was how the different states have like their own ways by which they can go about regulating sex work um but kay was saying that um like they themselves and like many of their associates and whatnot like would much rather not be registered and like get the legal certification and whatnot um to be able to go about the work and that also surprised me like seeing that like there was like a legal pathway like for some of the people who like okay themselves like being a documented person like who's allowed to and like i understood on like the flip side like undocumented people not being able to do that like for jeopardy of like their safety but then just like thinking about how, like, the fact that them getting registered as sex workers is something that will be on, like, a public document, and it's, like, something that's, like, readily available and can, like, stick with them for the rest of their life. Um, that was something else that was interesting to me. Yeah. Okay, great. 
Um, so my next question that I would be curious to hear your responses to is, so of all the other NGOs that we've met with so far on this class, um, AOTEO and RAA, and um, we met with Yasmin from, who was affiliated with ADEPRA, um, they all work with intersectional frameworks, but were formed around like shared racial or ethnic identity. So I was wondering if you saw any similarities or differences between the NGOs that we've encountered so far and then transsex works, um, and also specifically in regards to funding and um, vis- visibility of these organizations. So like regarding the funding aspect itself, I would say that I see a lot of similarities um, between transsex works and some of the other NGOs that we've met with. Um, for instance, like in Germany, it seems like there is like a pretty standard way by which one goes about like applying for grants and funds and whatnot and there's like a kind of like legal prose kind of dance that they have to do where they have to kind of like state one objective that like the state wants to hear try to find a way to balance like that stated objective with like the actual end goal like 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 the impact that they will have on individual peoples as opposed to like having some kind of like measurable like social outcome for like greater society like trying to like have just like incomes of improvement for outcomes of improvement for individual peoples um and like we heard that oftentimes like somebody will be given money and like they'll think that everything's going good or whatever but because of like some kind of arbitrary like government official being like oh like you didn't execute this like you said you would like they can lose funding or have it taken away um, yeah, it was interesting to hear about, like, um, the funding differences between, like, NGOs and other um, organizations, but um, in terms of, like, listening to Kate talk about trans sex works and, like, comparing that to other organizations that have focused on, like, race, I think that intersectionality in this case was, like, brought up even more for me because even though, um, like, other organizations we've looked at, like, each one teach one and like RA have like worked with um, individuals who like have a lot of like different identities and have like different groups specifically for um, like different intersections of identity. This group was like, I felt like transsex work was like much more specific than other ones by like specifically looking at um, trans individuals who are sex workers. And then what brought, what was brought up in the conversation for me that I like, I didn't expect and that hasn't been brought up I felt like as much in other conversations was like also like immigration um was like a big thing that stood out to me like um Kay was talking about how most of the sex workers that they work with are immigrants and most of them are for eastern from eastern Europe um and they've like fled because um because of their identity so I think that that was like a very like specific intersectional lens like these specific people are like experiencing being sex workers and experiencing being trans in Germany like more differently than anyone else because of like those specific experiences um and it just like I don't know it it brought up a connection between like immigration and um being transgender like that I had never really thought about before which is like already like most people who are transgender in most countries in the world like face persecution on higher levels than like anyone else and like people who are fleeing violence and like leak like immigrate as a result of that are like probably even more seduced like to more likely to do that if they are transgender which is like just because like 
people who are transgender are more likely to like face violence and I just never like had actually made that connection um so like that was like an inter interesting like intersectional lens um to view that through and like it was interesting also just because like I don't think that when transsex works was created like they necessarily like made it with the intention of like um addressing immigration issues um but that seemed to be like a really big issue for them which was cool yeah it kind of shows how you can't isolate specific identities um and how they all yeah intersect with each other and kind of going off Kay probably not planning on thinking about or potentially not knowing that they were going to encounter um all of the different like nuances and varieties of what like being a trans sex worker is and specifically for the street workers that they work with and like on that note of like intersectionality and like this organization being made for people like who are both like trans and sex workers um something that like came out with i feel like more passion from k than maybe some of the other um heads of the organizations is like the fact that k repeated so many times like the reason like i'm so passionate about this work is because like i come from like a, pr- a place of privilege and like the people who aren't as privileged as me like the people that i'm trying to help right now like i could have been in their sa- like the same situation like so easily like so very easily if just not just for, like the color of um their skin you know um and on that note though um that that level of passion like that community aspect um that's like another similarity i saw between um trans sex works and other NGOs is that like oftentimes it is kind of based on like a peer-to-peer structure and that's something that um Kay really um emphasized um but on the like flip side like a difference is that like in terms of visibility um all by the fact that it is like peer-to-peer like I feel like for trans sex works like that peer-to-peer kind of structure is like far more crucial um granted that um people and public spaces and whatnot, um, trans-identifying individuals, as case stated, like, in the daytime, oftentimes, will have to um, perform um, as a different gender than the one that they feel like for the sake of safety. Um, and, like, because of this, like, literal, like, like with beca- because of the fact that visibility can bring violence, I feel like this has to be something that's, like, far more, like, low-key, like, the way that um, the day-to-day operations of transsex works go about. Yeah, and I also noticed, or something I thought about was, um, it seemed like transsex works had a smaller budget and received less funding than the other organizations that we met with, and um, and also that there were there was I think Kay was working f- for transsex works, and they then mentioned like two other people that they work with who, um, and not all of them, they all have like their own lives and have to make sure that they can like function and survive and like that's also just that it seemed like um between not having received a lot of funding um and then also just having to also make do and like survive themselves um it seemed like that was a like a really tiring job and Kay was very candid about being really tired and feeling sometimes burnt out from all of the work that they had to do so that was something else that um, I was curious about in terms of the way that the activists that we met have 
manage their energy and time because all this work can be like entirely consuming yeah that was something that um also like struck a chord with me when we were um, listening to Kate talk and listening to how hard it can be (laughs) to run an organization like that and like I think that this is like a similarity that we've seen in a lot of like the NGOs we've talked to is just like yes we're trying to like make events and we're trying to like do outreach and get funding and do this and this and this but like all of that is impeded by like just like the struggle of like getting through the day and like I felt like for trans sex works like that was that seemed to be like even more of an issue like particularly because Kay was saying like like the people who like they work with are just they're they're working like that's that's what they're all like centered around is like their literal work so like having trying to have like a a meeting and like get together when I don't know you're like just trying to make money is like something that I hadn't really thought about and it's it's kind of like it's an interesting predicament because the people who like need to gain more visibility are the people who like have the least ability to actually like put themselves out there and be seen and like do the work and like put in the time because like people just have to make money yeah they did I think and on that note they mentioned how they try and compensate people for their time um was it with the surveys that when they asked the for the sex workers that they were working with to fill out surveys about their needs or how um, during their weekly dinners they will pay someone the person who's cooking so like recognizing and addressing that their time is money um, was something that I learned <laughs> and then I'm not sure about like how it exactly plays out um, but I feel like another structural difference in terms of funding for transsex works is that like Kay stated that the organization receives like 7,000 euros a year um, and 6,000? Okay. Yeah, 6,000 euros a year in government funding. And that's for, like, the entirety of the operation. I believe they said, like, the ideal goal is, like, to have maybe, like, 15 people a week meet um, every Thursday or whatever it is. Um, But on the flip side, um, like, at um, Adafra, uh, the people there were, like, employees, actually, like, Although, like, they, um, some of them could only work, like, 20 hours a week or whatever, like, that was still, like, that many hours a week of, like, paid work. And I don't know, like, how much realistically, like, um, Kay and the others make, like, I, I wonder, like, is it more volunteer-based um, as opposed to, like, an actual paid position? Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, like, if yeah. so, like, it again just, like, emphasizes, like, a community aspect, you know, like, the fact that, like, they're meeting together as we were just talking about um, with Bill is saying that like this organization like it is based around the identity of like job plus gender like the fact that people are taking the time out of their lives unpaid to help people who work their same job I don't know that's like something that's I don't know super meaningful to me it like reminds me of what Heidi was saying about how like structurally you, you can't try to move forward at all until you're well and, like, trying to bring about that wellness by just, like, bringing up people's spirits, like, giving people food, giving people clothes, giving people, like, other people that they can relate to. Um, yeah. So um, my final question is um, 
about gentrification. So throughout this course, we've um, had a lot of discussions about gentrification, especially the gentrification of like the Kreuzberg area when we went to the FXHB Museum, and it's come up in our queer walking tour. Um, So I was just wondering if there's anything that you learned from Kay and trans sex works um, that changed, added, or complicated your understanding of gentrification in Berlin, as that's been a running theme. Um, I think that our conversation with Kay definitely complicated my understanding of gentrification in Berlin a little bit, just because it like gave me another lens through which I could view how necessary just like housing is and how like for a lot of jobs like just having like a location where you can be is like so important and like if you can't even afford a a place where you can like do your work then how can you afford a place where you can live um I mean specifically um Kay was talking about how a lot of sex workers work on the street but in like a more ideal world would have a place that they could go to like a house where um, they could do their work um, but that's just like not possible because of how how high rent is in so much of Berlin and because I don't know I'd imagine that there's like probably a lot of discrimination that would like also prevent them from doing that so I think that like that adds another layer of difficulty to gentrification and like how necessary it is to like prevent it or address it that I hadn't really like thought about before. Yeah, I don't know if um, anybody else that we've met with that are hem- with uh, during our time in Berlin has like talked about like the numbers of like rent changes and whatnot. Um, but Kay said that like within the past ten years, rent has doubled here. That's ridiculous to me. Like that's astounding. In terms of like complicating like my conceptions of gentrification, the talk with Kay like we learned that at, at least in terms of like the people that Kay operates with. Um, most of them, like, a commonality between them is that they all speak Bulgarian, like, meaning that they're coming from, like, Eastern Europe and whatnot. And then that just kind of, like, it clicked in my head that, like, it's so simple, but, like, there are, like, migrant refugees coming to Berlin, like, who are needing the space for survival, like, who, like, literally need the space. Um, But these people, like, are oftentimes, like, undocumented, um, like quote unquote like low skilled or whatever so like how do you like balance the need um, to provide like space for people who would die without the space potentially um, alongside like the economic development like generally smiled upon that's like accompanied by more affluent populations moving into various parts of the city um, who are demanding like Starbucks and whatnot you know <laughs> yeah that is a really <laughs> difficult question. Yeah. Definitely can think about it for a while, but I definitely, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't have an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, people who who need this for their survival versus people who are like moving to Berlin because it's hip and cool mm-hmm. and like because they can. Mm-hmm. And like, how do you position yourself in that? Like for us being um, tourists and also just like, in, I don't know, for myself being somebody who's really enjoyed um, being in the city, like, yeah, what does that mean for me, and how do I, yeah, acknowledge that or and act accordingly on those terms? Well, if that's all, thank you two so much for joining me today in this discussion. Our discussion with Kay was truly inspiring for me. It was an honor to meet someone so dedicated to the work they're doing. 
while honest in how difficult and consuming it can be. Kay added important nuance to conversations like gentrification, agency, intersectionality, and resistance that we've been having throughout this block in Berlin. Thanks so much for listening today, and I hope you enjoyed. Thank you.